Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, you are listening to PGN. This is a live internet broadcast of Secrets Revealed. Understand the book of Revelation, and today we are talking about the 1,260 days prophecy and the battle of Armageddon. In the book of Revelation, there are 12 statements of prophecy. Each month we are focused on one of the statements of prophecy in the book of Revelation, I invite you to share your perspective, present your prayer request, or pose a question using our PGN phone number, which is 1-319-527-6027. You can use the phone number to listen, or you can use the phone number to uh, share during the live Internet broadcast. Again, our PGN phone number is 1-319-527-6027, and today we are talking about the Battle of Armageddon, and the 1,260 Days Prophecy. Let's begin with talking about the Battle of Armageddon. In the book of Revelation, beginning with chapter 5, we have the first statement of prophecy. The final statement of prophecy ends with verse 5 of chapter 22. These statements of prophecy appear consecutively. The first statement of prophecy is the seven seals prophecy. It's followed by the seven trumpets prophecy. That's followed by the 1,260 days prophecy, and it culminates with the new earth prophecy, which begins with chapter 21 of the book of Revelation. So what about the Battle of Armageddon? One secret, a very important secret about the book of Revelation is that Each statement of prophecy is its own documentary. When John was called up to heaven, as reported in in Revelation chapter 4, he gives us a report of what he actually sees when he is in heaven. But he was called up to heaven not for the purpose of experiencing heaven, but for the purpose of being shown and experiencing visions, visions that he was called to record for you and for me and for all readers of the book of Revelation. These visions were moving pictures, curated images created in heaven about the future, an omniscient, an all-knowing God. went into the future, created a movie that would allow John the Revelator to see events in the future, in our past, so that he could document those moving pictures, the visions. So today we would call them movies, 
But it's not just any kind of movie. It's a documentary. So documentaries document realities, document events and facts. And so imagine that you are John the Revelator and you are standing in heaven and you're being shown one movie after another. First, you're shown the movie trailer for movie number one and then the movie in its entirety, but it's all seamless, all in a row. You don't even know exactly what you're looking at, but you experience it, and it's real, and you're in heaven, and you're seeing visions from God. John the Revelator took those visions that he saw, and he recorded them faithfully, and we have them today, and they comprise the bulk of the book of Revelation. Now, why do you need to know that? Why do you need to know that there are 12 statements of prophecy? Because the Battle of Armageddon doesn't happen four times. It doesn't happen three times. It doesn't happen eight times. It only happens one time. However, when you look at the book of Revelation, you necessarily need to know which statement of prophecy you are in because there are 12 visions. There are 12 statements of prophecy, and nine of the 12 statements of prophecy focus on the events leading up to and or including the second coming of Jesus Christ. So at the second coming of Jesus Christ, there's the marriage of the Lamb. That's the first resurrection. That's where all members of the royal race transition from mortality to immortality, put on the incorruptible, glorified, perfected body. So about the Battle of Armageddon, in the book of Revelation, the marriage of the Lamb refers to the first resurrection, and it is followed by the marriage supper. Some translations refer to it as the wedding feast. Some translations refer to it as the wedding banquet, all saying uh, the same thing. Marriage supper, wedding feast, wedding banquet. Now, I need to say in advance, I have heard often the marriage supper and the wedding feast referred to as a wonderful dinner where the bride, those who have transitioned from mortality to immortality, where we have a wonderful meal with Jesus Christ, and it's going to be wonderful and amazing and fantastic. And uh, certainly that's a possibility that we will uh, eat with Jesus and we're, it'll be all of us and it'll be wonderful and amazing. If, that's so, um, that is terrific, and I look forward to it. However, in the book of Revelation, the wedding feast, God is telling us something very specific. God is telling us that the battle of Armageddon is coming and that he has a cleanup plan for the war that he will wage in righteousness, the war that he will fight and win on behalf of Israel, 
the war that will be the war to end all wars. In Isaiah, it says that during the millennial reign, men will put down their weapons and nations shall make war no more. And Jesus Christ will serve as the mediator for disputes between nations. The Battle of Armageddon is the war to end all wars. There will never, ever be another war on this present earth or the new earth to come. We know that because we're told that in the book of Revelation. The Battle of Armageddon is a war waged in righteousness. Revelation chapter 19, beginning with verse 6, all the way to its conclusion, which it ends with verse 21, is the key statement of prophecy about the Battle of Armageddon. The marriage supper prophecy, Revelation chapter 19, verse, verses 6 to 21, it is the one prophecy of all 12 statements of prophecy in the book of Revelation that focuses primarily on the Battle of Armageddon. So if you're looking in the book of Revelation and you want to know, well, uh, what happens at the Battle of Armageddon and what does it look like? If, if, if you want the most detailed account of the Battle of Armageddon, it is found in the Marriage Supper Prophecy. However, the Battle of Armageddon is, is mentioned elsewhere. It's mentioned in the Seven Seals Prophecy, and it's mentioned again in the seven trumpets prophecy. And it's mentioned again in the purple and scarlet prophecy. And, and very uh, importantly, it's mentioned again in the seven plagues prophecy. The seven final plagues culminate with the battle of Armageddon. So the seven final plagues include but are not limited to the Battle of Armageddon. That's described in Revelation 15 and 16. But as you know, the Battle of Armageddon doesn't happen four, five, six, seven times. It only happens one time. So that's why it's very important to know when you're reading the book of Revelation, where are you? It has six parts. It has a preface, a formal introduction, Seven Letters to Seven Churches, John's Report on Heaven, the first four parts. Then it has the 12 Statements of Prophecy. That's the bulk of the book of Revelation, chapters 5 to 22. And then beginning with verse 6 of 22, it has a formal conclusion. Okay, enough background. Let's go to the Battle of Armageddon. Here is the prophecy, the marriage supper prophecy for the Battle of Armageddon. And we're going to talk about this because Daniel's 70th week, that is the seven-year period, the seven-year period that culminates with the return of Jesus Christ. And the return of Jesus Christ includes many things. Importantly, number one, the marriage of the lamb, and number two, the marriage supper of the lamb. So in this seven-year period, Daniel's 70th week described in uh, the book of Daniel chapter 9, something very important happens. There's the wrath of Satan. 
That's the great tribulation referred to in Matthew 24. That's the great tribulation that we are going to hear about today when we look at the 1,260 days prophecy. That's the great tribulation during which time the Antichrist will grow in power and dominion. And the Ten Nation Alliance described in the 666 Antichrist prophecy will dominate economic and world affairs. It all happens in this seven-year period. That is Daniel's 70th week. So how does it all end? It ends with Jesus Christ fighting and winning the Battle of Armageddon. When I say how does it all win, how does it all end, talking about Daniel's 70th week, it ends with the Battle of Armageddon. Let's hear it now. Reading from the New Living Translation, then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Let's pause there. So we hear a movie trailer. Each statement of prophecy has two parts. Now that's important to know. So we have 12 statements of prophecy. It begins with its own abstract. So in professional writing, the, the term for movie trailer in words is abstract. You might say, well, I've never heard this before. This is a secret. Once you have this secret, you will see it. You will say, I can't believe I didn't see that before. When you are in a statement of prophecy in the book of Revelation, it has its own movie trailer in words, followed by the movie in its entirety. So uh, let's pause there for a second. I will share more about that uh, in the future. Let's hear the movie in its entirety. In other words, the full report about the Battle of Armageddon. Now we've moved beyond the movie trailer, and we're in the full report. It begins with verse 11, and it ends with verse 21. It says, here it is, the marriage supper prophecy, the full report. Then I saw heaven opened. And a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. 
He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. Let's pause there. So now, what do we have? We're at the very beginning. So there is a person riding a horse. And the name of this person is Faithful and True. He has eyes like flames of fire. He has many crowns on his head. He wears a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Now, remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're also told that in addition to this person riding a white horse, John the Revelator sees the armies of heaven, and it says the armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. Now, I think you know who this is. I think that you know that this is Jesus Christ. But just in case there's any doubt, more was shown to John the Revelator in this moving picture, in this vision, in this documentary. We're going to pick right up where we ended. Verse 15 of chapter 19 says, from his mouth, came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. So the rider of the white horse is equipped with a weapon. And it says that this weapon is a sharp sword. Who will the weapon be used against and how will it be used? We're told that the weapon will be used against, quote, the nations. So not one nation, but the nations. And it's used to strike down the nations. Now, why will the rider of the horse need to strike down the nations? So we're at the end of Daniel's 70th week. The river, the river Euphrates, the sixth and final plague, has been dried up supernaturally. And now the armies of the one world government, the ten-nation alliance, the armies inspired by Satan, the Antichrist as their leader and presidents and generals, the armies of the world have traveled across the dried up supernatural, dried up supernaturally, uh, the dried up path of the Euphrates River leading them straight to Jerusalem, leading them straight to the specific location where God wants to fight the battle of Armageddon. So when Jesus Christ descends to fight the battle of Armageddon, he's coming with a sharp sword. Now, John the Revelator sees it. So now we're actually there. It says, from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. Now, why does he say it came, as in past tense? So John the Revelator is watching. uh, He's having a vision. He's seeing moving pictures. He's watching a documentary of events in our future, but for him, he already saw it happen. 
Let's continue. It says, he will rule them with an iron rod. Who's he? The person on the white horse. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. Let's unpack that. He will release the fierce wrath of God. The 1,260 days, we're going to look at that prophecy shortly. That's the wrath of Satan. The great tribulation is precisely and exactly 1,260 days, three and a half years. We're going to see that in the book of Revelation many times. The wrath of Satan is followed by the wrath of God. The wrath of God includes the battle of Armageddon. It culminates with the battle of Armageddon. At the end of the battle of Armageddon, the first two of God's five enemies are destroyed. We're going to hear that in a moment. Now, you heard the language wine press. That's very important. Throughout the book of Revelation, the wine press refers to specifically what happens to the enemies of God during the battle of Armageddon. So when we look at the earth reaped prophecy in chapter 14 of the book of Revelation, it talks about the blood flows for more than 100 miles. Some translations say 180 miles. I think others say 160 miles. We're going to go there shortly. Uh, again, well, why is it talking about the Battle of Armageddon in Chapter 14 if we're talking about it in Chapter 19? There are 12 statements of prophecy in the book of Revelation. Each is its own documentary. So let's continue here. In the Marriage Supper Prophecy, it says, He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of All Kings and Lord of All Lords. Now, this is amazing. In case there was any doubt, in case there was any doubt, for sure we know that the rider of the white horse who will use a sword to strike down the nations, who wears many crowns, who has a robe of... Uh, that he's wearing, who has eyes like flames of fire, it is surely Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is referred to repeatedly in the Bible as the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. So here we are in verse 16 of chapter 19. It says, on his robe, talking about the rider of the white horse, at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Now, why does he have that title on his robe? Because that's who he is. He is Jesus Christ, the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Now, here's the part where you're going to know without a doubt, you'll never be deceived again, that the wedding banquet, the marriage supper, the wedding feast is the Battle of Armageddon. Verses 17 to 21 prove that the wedding feast is not for the sheep, it's not for the wheat, it's not for the, uh, 
those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it's for the vultures. Now, let's hear it. Don't, don't, don't turn me off. Don't be mad. If I'm saying something that is counter to uh, what you've heard before, because I'm not going to share my opinion. I'm going to share the Word of God. We go to the Word of God to arrive at truth, to discover truth, and then we use the word of God to shape our thinking, to inform our decision-making, to allow us to prepare for those events that are shortly to come. So in verse 17, we're continuing. It says, then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. So the Battle of Armageddon hasn't happened yet. An angel is standing in the sun. John the Revelator sees this, and the angel shouts. And gives an instruction to the vultures. And the instruction is gather around. God has prepared a great banquet for who? Not for, not for me, not for you, not for the bride. Who is this great banquet prepared for? It's prepared for the vultures. It is God's cleanup plan for the war he's about to wage and win. In Revelation chapter 14, we're told that at the end of this war, the blood will flow for dozens and dozens of miles. Let me read that to you briefly. In Revelation chapter 14, at the end of the earth reap prophecy, it says, and the grapes in the winepress were trodden outside the city, and blood poured from the winepress, reaching as high as horses' bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia, about 200 miles. That's verse 20 of chapter 14. That's the earth-reaped prophecy. You heard that word, the winepress. Let me read it to you one more time where you hear the part about the winepress. And the grapes in the wine press were trodden outside the city. What city? Jerusalem. And blood poured from the wine press. So what's the wine press? It's the event of the Battle of Armageddon. It's the reality of God's enemies being destroyed by Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven. And what about the wine press? It says, and blood poured from the wine press, reaching as high as horses' bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia, 200 miles. So now here we are in Revelation 19 talking about vultures. We're talking about, we hear that vultures are the guests for the wedding feast the marriage supper. Now, we shouldn't be mad at this. We shouldn't uh, feel like we've lost something. Jesus Christ is coming to wage a war of righteousness. 
and he's going to fight and win this war, and he has a clean-up plan for cleaning up the mess. That makes sense to me. If you're, you know you're going to battle, and you have a plan to win the battle, and you have a plan to clean things up. Now, why does he need this? In Isaiah chapter 9, we're told, and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. So after he fights and wins the Battle of Armageddon described here in chapter 19, he establishes his government on this present earth. We go into the millennial reign with 200 miles of blood and carnage. That needs to be cleaned up. Now, how's it going to happen? The angel, even before the Battle of Armageddon, there's a plan for the end of it, how it's going to be cleaned up. Let's hear it again. It says in verse 18, the, the vultures are told, come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors. Now, are these the, the kings? Is this, is this the president of the United States? Is this uh, the prime minister of Israel? Is this? We could go on like that. This is specifically talking about all of the individuals who traverse the path of the Euphrates River, and they are there to fight and win a war against Israel at this point, as described in the last three chapters of uh, Zechariah. They think that they're about to take Israel. They think that Israel is down for the count, and they just need to finish this thing up. They are many. So we're told uh, in Daniel... Some of the nations that will be a part of, the, of these armies. And so, but the angel says, listen, here's who's a, a, about to lose their life. It's going to be the kings, generals, and strong warriors, and all of their horses, all the people who are riding their horses, and all of humanity who is there, free and slave, small and great. You might say, well, I'm not persuaded about that. I understand. The angel's telling the vultures this instruction. So it's clear, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. He's telling them what they're going to eat. Now we're going to hear more details. Verses 19, 20, and 21, we're going to hear precisely what happens at the Battle of Armageddon. Here it is, picking right up where we left off, verse 19. Then I saw the beast. And the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. Ooh, that's amazing. So John the Revelator actually sees the Antichrist who is there. The Antichrist will be there at the Battle of Armageddon in Revelation chapter 13, which is the 666 Antichrist prophecy. In April, on every program, we're going to be focused on that prophecy. It's the fourth statement of prophecy in the book of Revelation. April is the fourth month of the year. We're going to be focused on that in April. The beast is the ten-nation alliance that will include Germany, Great Britain, and Russia, as well as other nations. The Antichrist is the mouthpiece for the beast, and he is referred to as the beast 
in Revelation chapter 13 and here in Revelation 19. It says, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. So where are they gathered together? They're gathered together in a specific location. It's not New York City. It's not Geneva. It's not Mexico City. It's not uh, Washington, D.C. It's not Addis Ababa. It is Jerusalem. So let's make sure we know what we're looking at. They are there and they are many. It's the Antichrist. Uh, when it says the kings of the world, so there are some presidents who have come, perhaps, prime ministers. We have various titles depending on what nation you're talking about. But some of them are there, kings of the world, and their armies. It doesn't say and their army, their armies. So uh, it will include the army of Russia, for example, as well as armies from other nations. And it says they're gathered together. Now, how have they been gathered? So in the seven plagues prophecy, we're told that the river Euphrates will be dried up supernaturally by God so that they will have a direct path to the location where Jesus Christ wants to fight the battle of Armageddon. And so there they are, millions perhaps. We don't have a number here, so it could be thousands. But it's armies, they're gathered together. And why are they gathered together? To fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. So there, John the Revelator sees it. It's the armies of the world with the Antichrist. And on the other side, it's the armies of heaven. It's the army of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ himself is here on the present earth. Better than the Super Bowl. This is the war to end all wars. Now, what happens? Let's go to verse 20. And the beast was captured. There it is. The Antichrist was captured. And with him, the false prophet. Who's the false prophet? The Pope at the time of the Great Tribulation. We're going to be talking about that in August when we talk about the purple and scarlet prophecy. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. The false prophet will do mighty miracles, including calling down fire from heaven as described in the 666 Antichrist prophecy in Revelation 13. And it says here, Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. So this is a reference to events described elsewhere in the book of Revelation. So prior to the battle of Armageddon, the false prophet will work in tandem with the Antichrist during the 1,260 days. And we're going to that prophecy shortly. The Antichrist and false prophet will work in tandem the false prophet will perform miracles, and these miracles, it says here, in the Marriage Supper prophecy will deceive 100%. It says all, all is 100%, all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. People will take the mark of the beast on their forehead or on their hand. They will worship the statue of the beast, 
Let's continue here. It says, both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now, let's pause there for a second. The battle of Armageddon doesn't happen in one or two or three minutes. It's a battle. It's the war to end all wars. There will never, ever be another war on this present earth or the earth to come. But we're fast-forwarding in time. At some point during the Battle of Armageddon, the Antichrist is captured. We're told that in verse 20. Also captured, the false prophet. That's noted in verse 20. And we're told at the end of verse 20 what happens to the beast and the false prophet. God's strategy for destroying his enemies is called the second death. In Revelation 20, in the dead judged prophecy, verses 11 to 15, we're told that the second death is when a person, a place, or a thing is thrown into the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone forever and ever. God has five enemies, and all five enemies will be destroyed by Jesus Christ. And after all five enemies of God the Father are destroyed, we're told in the New Earth prophecy that God the Father is going to send from this present heaven a city that he has created. And we're going to transition from the present earth to a new earth, an incorruptible earth, a perfected, glorified earth, in the same way that you will transition as a person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You will transition from corruptible to incorruptible. This present earth, which is corruptible, will transition to a new earth that's incorruptible. After all five of God's enemies are destroyed, he sends from heaven a beautiful city, and that city is merged onto the new earth, and I think you probably know where. It's right here in the location where the Battle of Armageddon is being fought. Satan is angry. God said, I'm going to put my name there. So Satan says, oh, that's where I want my name to be. But in the end, not only will Jesus Christ rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years, but he will rule and reign from Jerusalem beyond all time for the eternities of eternity. And God the Father will relocate his abode from heaven to the new earth. But God the Father doesn't come down from heaven to earth until all five of God's enemies are destroyed. Now here at the Battle of Armageddon, the first two of God's five enemies are destroyed. Who are they? The Antichrist and the false prophet. How do we know that they're destroyed? It tells us right here in the marriage supper prophecy, but let's hear about the second death. Let's confirm that we know what we're talking about. In the dead judge prophecy, in Revelation 20, verse 14, it says, 
Then death and Hades, the state of death or disembodied existence, were thrown into the lake of fire. So this is in the future. Talking about this, how these two things are thrown into the lake of fire, this location and this thing, this is the second death, the lake of fire. It says that. Let me read that again. Then death and Hades of death or disembodied existence were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, comma, the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And so the lake of fire is God's strategy, a permanent strategy for destroying his enemies. And here in the marriage supper prophecy, we're told in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake. That's the lake of fire of burning sulfur. Let me read it again. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So at the battle of Armageddon, the Antichrist and the false prophet are captured and they are destroyed for all time. Now, the God's third enemy will not go to the lake of fire for another thousand years. That's in Revelation 20, verse 10. But in the meantime, what's the meantime? We're talking about the battle of Armageddon. At the battle of Armageddon, the beast and the false prophet, they experience the second death. Now let's hear verse 21. I began with talking about the fact that the wine press refers to what happens to God's enemies during the battle of Armageddon. You'll hear in the purple and scarlet prophecy about the wine press and what's happening to uh, those individuals in Rome, the city of seven hills. Uh, we're going to hear about that in August. We'll be talking about the purple and scarlet prophecy where it describes uh, those events. But here, right now, we're in Jerusalem at the Battle of Armageddon. Verse 21 says, their entire army, who's there? The Antichrist and false prophet. Now, why does it say their army? Remember, the Antichrist and the false prophet, as described in Revelation 13, the 666 Antichrist prophecy, they work in tandem. The false prophet performs false miracles, which allow him to persuade people that the Antichrist is God. In the book of Daniel, we're told that the Antichrist is going to stand in the rebuilt temple described in Revelation, uh, in the seven trumpets prophecy in Revelation chapter 11, a temple which we are waiting for. The red heifer has, uh, we believe that the red heifer that will be used uh, when this third temple is rebuilt, that it is right now in Israel, there are five candidates. Prophet Randy Chandler has been talking about the red heifer and the incredible events that happened uh, September 4th, September 8th, September 12th, and then September 15th. So right now we're in the marriage supper prophecy. It says their entire army. So the armies that will traverse the path of the Euphrates River, remember, 
It's been dried up. So that river is not there. It's been dried up supernaturally. Why? We're told in uh, Revelation 16, Revelation, uh, Revelation 15 and 16, it's been dried up for the purposes of giving them a way to get to where God's going to annihilate them. That's why it's been dried up. And so it's their entire army. Now, here's what it says. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword. What's the sharp sword? Remember, that's the weapon that Jesus Christ comes with when he comes to fight and win a war waged in righteousness. That's the Battle of Armageddon. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. A hundred percent of the individuals in the entourage, in the army of the Antichrist and false prophet will be destroyed. So it's the entire army. Now, uh, in addition to the army, we were told earlier that who's there at the Battle of Armageddon. It says in verse 19, the beast, the kings of the world, and their armies. So it's not only the Antichrist and the false prophet, but also the kings of the world are there. But about the army, right? Because the, the, the take-home point, it's Team Jesus versus Team Satan. These are the two players uh, here. So it's Jesus and his army, the Antichrist and his army, which are the armies of the world. And Jesus Christ has the armies of heaven. So about the army, it says their entire army, talking about the armies of the world under the leadership of the Antichrist, their entire army was killed by Jesus Christ. How does Jesus kill them? He uses a weapon. What is that weapon? It's a sharp sword. Now, this is the wedding supper prophecy. So we're told in verse 17 that the vultures were given the instruction. Let's hear it again. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Now, there will be people at the location where the Battle of Armageddon is fought who are not in the army. We say, well, how do you know? It tells us right here in verse 18. So there will be kings who are there. We're also told later in this prophecy that there are kings there. But here in verse 18, who else is there? There will be kings in Jerusalem. There will be generals. There are going to be strong warriors. Who are the strong warriors? Those are all the individuals in the armies of the nations uh, led by the Antichrist. And there will be humanity there. Some people who are free, some people who are slaves, some people who are very wealthy, some people who are very poor, some people who are small, some people who are great. So whether you are, let's hear it, among the kings, generals, strong warriors, horses and their riders, or all humanity, both free and slave, small and great, at the Battle of Armageddon fought in Israel, 
if you are with them, your flesh will be devoured by the vultures. You will experience the first death if you have taken the mark of the beast and you are team Satan if you are riding with and for the Antichrist. Now, this isn't my opinion. This is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, let's get back to the fact that vultures were told to come and gather so they could eat the flesh of all these individuals at the Battle of Armageddon. The last verse says, the last verse of the marriage supper prophecy, this confirms it all, it ties it all in. It says, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies so not only did they eat but they ate or they will eat beyond what is normal what does it mean to gorge uh i want to share a definition eat a large amount greedily so i'm looking uh at a definition for gorge it says to eat a large amount greedily. Another definition says to fill oneself with food. Another, uh, it says here that uh, another word for gorge is to overindulge. Now you say, well, how are they overindulging? Why? They're 200 miles, reading from the Amplified Classic Translation, we heard earlier, they're 200 miles of blood. This battle of Armageddon is huge. Again, who's going to be there? And then we're going to move on to the 1,260 days prophecy. It's going to be kings, generals, of course, those individuals in the armies, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and people who are just in that location. For whatever reason, they haven't left. Maybe they're excited to see what's going to happen. In any case, let's conclude and move on to the 1,260 days prophecy by noting that the word of God proves that the battle of armageddon will be fought and won by jesus christ at the battle of armageddon the false prophet and the antichrist will be captured they will be destroyed they will experience the second death a hundred percent of every person who is team satan at the location where the battle of armageddon is fought a hundred percent of those individuals will experience the first death so they will not be thrown into the lake of fire, okay? Human beings have the right to have their case heard. So the great white throne judgment doesn't happen until more than, uh, until a thousand years later, after the millennial reign. So these individuals don't go into the lake of fire with the Antichrist and the false prophet. They have the opportunity to have their cases heard as described in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, in the dead judged prophecy. Who's the dead? Every person whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. So that necessarily includes all these people who took the mark of the beast. If a person takes the mark of the beast, that individual has aligned himself or herself with Satan, 
And when the individual dies, as all these individuals uh, at the Battle of Armageddon who are Team Satan, when they die, they will go to Hades, which is a temporary holding tank. Heaven is a temporary storage tank. Hades is a temporary storage tank. Every person in Hades is coming up out of Hades. When? In the book of Revelation, we're told they're coming up out of Hades at the end of the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ. Why? They're resurrected for the purpose of participating in the great white throne judgment. Now, let me say this. You say, well, what does it matter if you die, but you're going to be resurrected again? So if you die because you're uh, team Satan and you've taken the mark of the beast, you say, well, research scientists, you've just told me that I'll be resurrected again at the time of the great white throne judgment, so maybe maybe it's not a big deal. It is a big deal, friend. Every person who fails to participate in the first resurrection, what's that? That's the marriage of the Lamb. So that's described at the beginning of the marriage supper prophecy. Every person who fails to participate in the first resurrection participates in the second one. And the second one is for, again, participating in the great white throne judgment. But every person who participates in the great white throne judgment will be found guilty. In other words, they all experience the second death. But because God is just and fair, their cases will be heard. But we're told in advance that if if God didn't have a case against them, if they had been to mediation, if they had found and followed God's plan for salvation, if they had allowed Jesus Christ to serve as their mediator, their case would be settled and they would participate in the first resurrection. Every person who's failed to go to mediation in advance, failed to make the first resurrection, and they participate in the second one. So you don't want to participate in the great white throne judgment as a litigant where the person on the opposing side of your team is God. Think about that. God has a case. God has a case. Every human being uh, has a case, and either your case is going to be mediated by Jesus Christ, he's the only mediator, or you're going to defend yourself at the great white throne judgment. Uh, I don't know if you know it, but I want to tell you right now, neither myself nor you nor any person has the ability to successfully fight and win a case against God. Don't let Satan deceive you. Jesus Christ is the only way to get in right standing with God. Now let's continue. Let's talk about the 1,260 days prophecy. We just heard about the Battle of Armageddon. That happens at the end of a seven-year period. Now the seven-year period was told to Daniel, and in the book of Daniel it's described so the prophecy is for 490 days. One week is referred to as 
seven years in the prophecy. The first 483 years have already happened. It's beyond the scope of our discussion today, but it has already happened. In the future, coming up very shortly, the final seven years, Daniel's 70th week, the final seven-year period, which includes both the wrath of Satan and the wrath of God, it's coming. What does it begin with? It begins with the signing of the confirmation of the covenant, the covenant described in Genesis chapter 15, where God made a covenant with Abraham and said, I promise you that this is your land. It's your land forever and for your descendants to come. And the boundaries of that land are described in Genesis 15. Now, as you know, Israel was without its own land for more than a thousand years. In 70 AD, the second temple was destroyed. And then Israel supernaturally came back together as a nation after being dispersed to all the nations of the world. Supernaturally, Israel came back together. They fought and won a war, and in 1948, the nation of Israel was reestablished. That's in the lifetime of uh, many of you, certainly within the lifetime of your parents or grandparents. And so here we are at the, uh, the precipice of the second coming of Jesus Christ, and the seven-year period will begin when... A peace treaty is signed. It will allow present-day Israel to rebuild its third temple, the one uh, initially built by Solomon, then uh, rebuilt a second time, destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. But a third temple will be rebuilt in that same location. The temple mount in Israel will be shared by both the Jewish people, and the Muslim people. The Muslims will worship in their, in their mosque. And the Jewish people will worship in their rebuilt temple. Now, what's the key thing for us to understand? There's a seven-year period. The Great Tribulation is limited to 1,260 days. But it's within this seven-year period, Daniel's 70th week, it begins with the signing of the confirmation of the covenant. When that happens, when that happens, we are seven years from the return of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? We know that from the book of Daniel. Now, I can't tell you whether it's seven years in one day or seven years in 18 days, seven years in five months. But we aren't children of the night. We're children of the day. We're supposed to know these prophecies, study and show ourselves approved. So uh, that's what we are doing. That's what we are doing. Now let's hear one of two statements of prophecy that focus nearly exclusively on the Great Tribulation. So there are 12 statements of prophecy. We heard one today. The marriage supper prophecy focuses on the battle of Armageddon. But before the battle of Armageddon, the wrath of God includes seven final plagues, uh, which include and culminate with the battle of Armageddon. 
Before the wrath of God, which happens at the end of the seven-year period, there's the wrath of Satan. So there's a signing of the confirmation of the covenant. The temple is rebuilt. Once the temple is rebuilt, the Antichrist will stand in the middle of the temple declaring that he is God. And that is the beginning of the 1,260 days. But let's hear right now what will happen during the 1,260 days to the nation of Israel. And in April, we're going to focus on the 666 Antichrist prophecy where we'll hear what is God's instruction for the church. What's God's instruction for the church during the Great Tribulation? We received that instruction uh, in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 13, the 666 Antichrist prophecy. But let's hear right now, first, the movie trailer for the 1,260 Days prophecy, and then the full movie. So we'll hear the abstract, then the full report. Verses 1 to 6, if you just wanted a snapshot, a movie trailer, the abstract, the movie trailer for the 1,260 Days prophecy says, Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Let's pause there. Uh, Have you ever seen a movie trailer where they take you way back in time, like to the very beginning? So that's what God has done with this abstract. So in the very beginning of Israel, what was John the Revelator shown with this vision, with these moving pictures? He saw Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel, and Israel is about to give birth to a child as prophesied by Isaiah, right? So Isaiah prophesied that Israel would give birth to a child, uh, Emmanuel, God with us. So God's taking us back. She was pregnant and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. So now we're moving on to something else in the movie trailer. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. Let's pause there. Now in this movie trailer, John the Revelator is shown Satan. You say, well, how do do we know it's Satan? Well, we're going to be told that it's Satan uh, later in uh, in the full report, but also in Revelation Chapter 20, the dragon is defined as Satan, the beginning of chapter 20. And the seven heads and ten horns refers to what's noted in Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 13. Okay, so what are we talking about? The red dragon is not China. It is surely Satan. And the ten horns refer to the ten-nation alliance that will be formed. That ten-nation alliance will include Germany, Russia, and Great Britain. There will initially be 
10 leaders for these 10 nations, but the Antichrist will put down three of those leaders. And so now, as described in Daniel chapter 7 in Revelation 13, John the Revelator is shown Satan and the reality that Satan is the power behind the inspiration for this ten-nation alliance that ultimately will have seven heads at the end. At some point during the Great Tribulation, it will go from ten to seven, as described in Daniel chapter 7. But there will still be ten nations, but three of those uh, leaders, I don't know if their title will be king, president, prime minister, your excellency, something like that, but three of them will be put down. uh, And so Satan is the inspiration, and John the Revelator is being shown, that, and this is referred to as a significant event. Now, what happens to Satan? It says, I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his heads. So these nations that are dominating economic and political affairs They are crowns for Satan. They carry out the plans and purposes of Satan. They tell the people of the world that they are going to bring peace, that we're all going to have one religion. We all are serving one God. Who's that God? They say it's the Antichrist. And we're all going to have one currency, and you need to take the mark of the beast to buy and sell. It's a lie from the pits of hell. We are not going to have peace. We are going to have the battle of Armageddon, which is a war waged in righteousness that will be fought and won by the one riding the white horse who wears a robe that has on it the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yes, Jesus Christ will fight and win the battle of Armageddon. Now here, In the 1,260 days prophecy, it says, I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. Now, this often happens in movies. You span large periods of time uh, in seconds. So we're told his tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky. As you may recall, Satan persuaded a third of all the angels to defect from God and to join him in his quest to take over the world. It's like a pinky in the brain situation. Every day, what does Satan want to do? He wants to take over the world, but ultimately... Ultimately, at the Battle of Armageddon, the Antichrist and the False Prophet, his two key players will be destroyed. And at the end of the millennial reign, he will be destroyed. He will join them in the lake of fire. So John the Revelator sees this. It says, his his tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, so a third of The angels, what are these fallen angels? A third of them are team Satan, and he threw them to the earth. Now, how are they thrown to the earth? Now, this is the movie trailer, so we don't get all the secrets yet. But we're going to hear in the full report how the third of the, uh, a third of the fallen angels, how they're thrown to the earth. We're going to hear that in the full movie, but right now, 
in the movie trailer in the abstract, we just get that little bit. Then it says, he stood, talking about Satan, in front of the woman, Israel, as she was about to give birth. Ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son, you know who it is, who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. Now, what iron rod is this? This is the same iron rod that we're told at the, in the marriage supper prophecy that Jesus Christ is going to rule the nations with the iron rod. Well, here it is again in another prophecy telling us Satan is standing in front of Israel. Just as Jesus Christ was about to be born, this is the first coming of Jesus Christ, ready to devour him as soon as he was born. Then in verse, uh, let's go back to verse 5. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod, and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And isn't it the case, isn't it the case that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose from the dead three days later, and he, 40 days after he rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and now he sits in heaven to the, at the right hand of the Father, where God the Father sits on his throne. So and her child, talking about Jesus Christ, was snatched away from the dragon. Satan didn't defeat Jesus. Jesus defeated Satan. Why? When he died on the cross, he tricked Satan, he didn't sin, and so now his sin and his death, not his sin, the fact that he didn't sin and he experienced death, that can count for our death. That can be uh, used on our behalf. Let's keep going. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. That's key. So now we fast forwarded in time. Why? This is a movie trailer. It goes fast. So verse 5 talks about how Jesus Christ ascended to heaven after he after he rose from the dead. And then in verse 6, we fast forward more than 2,000 years later. It says, and the woman, talking about Israel, fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. So this is an exciting abstract. This is an exciting movie trailer in words. So now we're primed. We're ready to hear about, well, okay, at the end of this thing, how, what does Israel do for these 1,260 days? And what are the 1,260 days? And how does this connect to Satan? Well, let's hear the full report. Verses 7 to 18. So the rest of chapter 12 is the full report of the 1,260 days. Remember, it is the period of the Great Tribulation. It begins after the signing of the Confirmation of the Covenant a peace treaty that will allow Israel to rebuild its third temple. It appears uh, the 1,260 days begins after the temple has rebuilt, and it commences with the Antichrist standing in the temple and declaring that he is God. Let's hear it. This is the full report of 
the Great Tribulation, and specifically what will happen to Israel during the Great Tribulation. Chapter 13 is the full report of the Great Tribulation and the instruction for the church during the Great Tribulation. Chapter 12 focuses on Israel. Let's hear it. Then there was war in heaven. Well, you say, well, he said then. Doesn't that mean it picks up? Remember, John the Revelator is showing us the visions that he was shown. So he's shown a movie trailer, and then he's shown the movie right afterwards. So in the same way, when we watch a movie trailer, and then we go to see the movie, we're not confused because we understand that in the movie will be some or all of the scenes that were in the movie trailer. Okay, so the next thing he sees, which is the full report, then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. So what is this telling us? At a certain point, Michael, the prince of Israel, we're told that he's the prince of Israel in Daniel. Michael, the angel, the archangel Michael, will be authorized apparently by God to fight Satan. So remember from Job, Satan is able to go before the throne of God right now. And he does that, and he's the accuser of the brethren. But at a certain point, at an appointed time, Michael leads a fight against Satan. And we're told Satan loses. He is a loser, and he is defeated. So here he suffers, he's going to suffer this law, Satan. What happens? And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. Now this is now telling us, this is explaining what we saw in the movie trailer. How is it that the third of the stars, how is it in the movie trailer it tells us, his tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. By the way, the fact that angels are referred to as stars in the book of Revelation, that's noted at the end of Revelation chapter 1. It says, and the angels are the stars. When uh, Jesus Christ is talking about the seven angels for the seven churches, uh, in that uh, symbolism is used consistently in the book of Revelation. But let's continue here. So now here in the full report, in the full movie, the full documentary, it explains how it is that one-third of all the angels that God has created, those who are fallen, those who have pledged themselves to Satan, those who are team Satan, when Satan loses the battle against Michael, where is this battle fought? It's going to be fought in heaven then he and his angels are forced out of heaven. So sometimes people say, well, heaven's an amazing place. Everything uh, is beautiful. There's no distress. There's no war. There's no this or that in heaven. Where we're taught right here that there was war in heaven. It says it, verse 7 of chapter 12. So this is coming up uh now, what happens? Verse 9, this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. So the red dragon is definitely Satan. It's not China. 
says in verse 9, this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Now, this is important. What happens when Satan is confined to the earth? Well, the earth is where you are and where I am. What does that mean for us? And God wants to talk about what does it mean specifically for Israel. That's why it's noted here. But before we get to what does it mean for Israel, what does it mean for the people in heaven? So people are in three locations. Those who are alive in a corruptible body, we're here on the present earth. Those who have died, whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they're in a temporary storage tank known as Hades, it's darkness. They are not in the fiery lake that burns with brimstone. You say, well, uh, research scientists, uh, what do you mean? They're in darkness. It's only after the great white throne judgment that people go into the fiery lake. Now, the Antichrist and false prophet, they're the first two uh, people to go into the lake of fire. They're the first two. Every evil person, place, or thing will be thrown into the lake of fire. The first two people are the Antichrist and the false prophet. Let's stay where we are. We're in the period of the Great Tribulation. Michael and his angels are thrown, uh, sorry, Michael and his angels defeat Satan. They fight this battle. Satan loses. He's thrown to the earth. Now, what does it mean first, we're going to be told, what does it mean for the people in heaven? Here's how they respond when this event happens. When this event happens, it's in the timing of the 1,260 days. It says, then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Four. Now, why are they saying salvation and power and the kingdom have come at last? Like, what do they mean by that? Well, we're told. They say, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that's Satan, has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. So they're saying, okay, we <laughs> the wrath of uh, the great tribulation is about to happen it's only for 1260 days and after the wrath of satan is the wrath of god which culminates with the battle of armageddon where our lord and savior will fight and win a war waged in righteousness and before the battle of armageddon we're going to participate in the marriage of the Lamb. We're going to put on, put on, as described in First Thessalonians chapter 4, our incorruptible body. So, but here in the 1,260 days prophecy, they say, uh, it has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they explain how it happened. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. I just want to say briefly here, during the Great Tribulation, during this period, it says 
they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. There are people during the Great Tribulation, as described in uh, Revelation chapter 20, who will give the testimony of Jesus Christ, who will preach the word of God, who will refuse to take the mark of the beast, and they will die. It says, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. So they said, I refuse to take the mark of the beast. I refuse to bow down to the statue. And depending on where you are in the world, that refusal will mean losing one's life. But it isn't a big deal. You say, well, how can dying not be a big deal? Remember, every human being is going to be resurrected. Those who are dead, who are in heaven, they are coming back to a tangible body, a peak performance, 100% alive body. Those of us who are here at the time of the second coming, we're going to be resurrected. And those who are in Hades are going to be resurrected. Unfortunately, they're being resurrected for the purposes of being judged at the dead judge prophecy. Now, let's talk about people losing their life during the Great Tribulation. We are going to be here during the Great Tribulation. This is not my goal. This is not my wish. This is what the Word of God communicates. So we're seeing it in this prophecy, but let's hear the explicit report in the book of Revelation. If you want to know for sure, where is the church during the Great Tribulation? Where you need to go is Revelation 20, chapter, Revelation 20, chapter 20, verse 4. Again, if you want to know definitively, without a shadow of a doubt, there's no room for an alternative interpretation. Verse 4 of Revelation chapter 20 clearly communicates that believers will be here during the Great Tribulation. And when we talk about the 666 Antichrist prophecy, it's made clear there too, because we're given an instruction as the church for what we're supposed to do during the Great Tribulation. But let's hear Revelation 20 verse 4. It says, John the Revelator says in verse 4, this is uh, in the millennial reign prophecy, I also, sorry, also I saw the souls of those who had been slain with axes beheaded for their witnessing to Jesus and for preaching and testifying for the word of God and who had refused to pay homage to the beast or his statue and had not accepted his mark or permitted it to be stamped on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived again. When do they live again? We will live again when we participate in the marriage of the Lamb, which happens right before the Battle of Armageddon. And they lived again and ruled with Christ the Messiah a thousand years. Now think about this. You have to be here when the mark of the beast is available in order to refuse the mark of the beast. It says here uh, they had not accepted his mark or permitted it to be stamped on their foreheads or on their hands. The Bible doesn't talk about Abraham refusing the mark of the beast. The Bible doesn't talk about Joseph refusing the mark of the beast or Ruth refusing the mark of the beast. It talks about those of us who will be here during the great tribulation. 
it talks about us refusing the mark of the beast. Now, let's hear it again. Now, what will we do as members of the church during this 1,260 days in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4? It says that all of us who are believers and who lose our lives during the great tribulation, that we're going to live again. But, but why did we lose our lives? Right? Now, not everyone. It's going to depend on where you are. There are many, many believers who will not die during the Great Tribulation. We say, well, how do you know that? In First Thessalonians chapter 4, it says that those who remain on the earth and whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, we're going to rise up second after those who are in heaven, after they descend from heaven and they meet their bodies that are ascending from the earth, what body? Their new peak performance glorified bodies. They, their soul and spirit puts on that new body that they will dwell in forever, three and one again. But those of us who are here on the earth, at the time of his second coming, we will change in the blink of an eye. Uh, our DNA will change. We'll transition from mortality to immortality. But not all. Some will lose their lives. Here, what happened? It says, those who had been slain with axes beheaded for their witnessing to Jesus and for preaching and testifying for the word of God and who had refused to pay homage to the beast or his statue and had not accepted his mark or permitted it to be stamped on their foreheads or on their Hands. So that's definitive proof in the book of Revelation. It is irrefutable. It's absolutely clear. There's no other way to interpret it. You cannot refuse the mark of the beast if you don't have the opportunity to take the mark of the beast. And when is the mark of the beast going to be available? During this 1,260 days. Now here, in this prophecy, it says, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Friend, you and I, we will not love our lives so much that we take the mark of the beast, right? So apparently, when believers during this period uh, lose their lives on account of their witnessing and preaching the word of God, when they get to heaven, they give their testimony. And it says, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens, rejoice. Okay, so that's the response of uh, those who are in heaven. They are happy when uh, Satan and his angels are uh thrown down to the earth during this 1,260 days, people. But what about those on the earth? It says, but terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman, that's Israel, who had given birth to the male child. But she was given two wings like those of a great eagle, that's the United States of America, so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There, she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with the flood of water that flowed from his mouth, but the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry 
at the woman at Israel and declared war against the rest of her children, the church, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Then the dragon took his stand on the shore beside the sea. So there it is, friend. Israel will be protected during the great tribulation. Israel will not be annihilated or destroyed. Thank you for being with me and with us. If you haven't done so already, I urge you, according to Jeremiah 33:3, call out to God and he will show you great and mighty secrets that you do not know. <laughs>